You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 151 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Hey, how the hell are you? Enjoying that winter that is coming? It is coming where I live. But maybe if you live in Australia, it's summer that's coming. I don't know. Before I get the show on the road, I want to thank Patreon number three, Dalion. Thanks for your support. And thanks to Michael and Oscar as well. Are you guys aware that you are part of an esteemed group of supporters? You were there in the beginning. And sure, it's easy to join something when a thousand people already have. But when you're the first, well, that takes some balls. All right. Um, the guest in this episode is Ian Benuiz. Ian is a West Point graduate, former Black Hawk helicopter pilot, U.S. Army officer and combat veteran who participated in Operation Just Cause in the Republic of Panama way back. And uh, this operation was the largest combat operation in U.S. history focused directly on the war on drugs. He was a pilot in command and his aviation brigade practically flew more night vision goggle hours than any unit in the military. Ian grew up in Hawaii in the 70s where cannabis was decriminalized and fully integrated into the culture. He has been healing himself of trauma for over 25 years with sacred plants, a spiritual practice and being a student and practitioner of ethnobotany. In 2016 Ian organized a trip for six veterans with PTSD to Peru for a 10-day plant diet, including ayahuasca and other plant medicines. And uh, he also took some of the same veterans to Mexico for treatment with iboga and 5-MeO-DMT. And this experience was captured on video and was released as a documentary entitled Soldiers of the Vine. Ian is also a member of the team working on the movie From Shock to Awe, a feature-length documentary that will chronicle the journeys of military veterans as they seek relief from PTSD with the help of ayahuasca, MDMA and cannabis. And in episode 96, I also talked to content producer Dr. Janine Sagert of the documentary From Shock to Awe, if you want to check that out. Okay, folks, here's Ian. So uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So can you tell the audience a bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is Ian Benuiz, and uh, I served in the U.S. Army as a heli- Black Hawk helicopter pilot, deployed to the Republic of Panama for the op- for Operation Just Cause. The you know, U.S. Uh, military's biggest operation ever focused just on the war on drugs, and uh, then I got out. The military and I uh, got a job working for Pfizer, for a you know, pharmaceutical company, where I saw the launch of these synthetic opioids and SSRIs firsthand, and uh, now we're still witnessing the full consequences. But uh, you know, that was my transition back into the civilian life. Was working for Pfizer, then I went to law school, studied intellectual property. 
while I was in law school, I did a lot of healing on myself with these plant medicines to uh, work on myself so I could, you know, be a functioning adult and be a, uh, a husband and, uh, and a father and raise a family and have a job and all that kind of stuff. And then a couple of years ago, meeting veterans and connecting with them, it started to open me up to the fact I had all this unresolved work I needed to do. Didn't have any war trauma, but childhood trauma and life trauma that I needed to address. And uh, so I started uh, doing that with these plant medicines, which of course I had previous experience with and really dove back in to those uh, medicines really hard with all the good support system of a daily spiritual practice and yoga and meditation, <clears throat> you know, the, the tools to support the work and basically started connecting with other veterans on the same path. And uh, since that have been trying to uh, promote the uh, access to these medicines for veterans to heal their PTSD so they can be integrated back into society. Isn't it ironic that you were in the army fighting the war on drugs and then with Pfizer, which is like a legal drug company? The paradox of these kind of things and then you just realize that ultimately these decisions are arbitrary. Whereas, you know, my kids growing up through these plants, they were grown in the garden, you know, whatever kind of properties they may have otherwise was different than some kind of drug that you went and got from a, you know, pharmacy inside a supermarket. And so at least they were able to, you know, see better distinctions on how those things exist versus the sort of cultural narrative that we're, you know, operating from today. Were you using any of these plant medicines while you were still in the army or was it afterwards? Yeah, it was mainly afterwards. I mean, I grew up in Hawaii where cannabis was part of the culture and used it there growing up. And when I went back, you know, home from West Point, but uh, <clears throat> not, not while I was serving. As a matter of fact, while I was serving, they were very restricted on, you know, obviously for the safety of flying, what you could be on and you could only take any kind of medication that had been, you know, approved by your flight surgeon. And so uh, I actually gave up drinking while I was uh, in Panama, you know, before Just Cause because I saw the, the danger of people misusing it, you know, especially when they're you know, separated from their families. And yeah, I just saw all the, all the trouble it got people in. What plant medicine have you been working with the most? Well, that's a great question. Um, I did a lot of work when I was uh, in law school with mushrooms. Part of Texas, right? I was in Houston and most all definitely necessity is the mother of invention. So a lot of work with mushrooms. I'm a mushroom of Syrian rue, you know, the M-A-O-I. And then uh, would have had the real blessing more recently of having opportunity to do a lot of work with 5-MeO-DMT you know, with the, the toad, and that's all told been over 100 times. So, um, you know, it's all – definitely these medicines all have uh, different fits for different parts of the path. <laughs> They all do different things, <laughs> what I'm trying to say. You know, the, the, the 5-MeO 
being able to push energy through the you know the the, the human system after you've untied the knots with ayahuasca is uh, a really nice combo, but you want to get those uh, sequenced right for sure. <laughs> what spiritual practices uh, do you have? Sure. Well, I was raised by a Christian mother and a Muslim father. He wasn't uh, practicing, and so <clears throat> when I was growing up, I went to a Methodist church with my mom and my uh, brothers, and uh, you know, I was, I was an acolyte. I was in the choir. I went through confirmation, <clears throat> and uh, to me, my kind of spiritual outlook is the container it was delivered in for that in Hawaii was like, you know, Jesus was this uh, awesome older brother that you that that wanted to emulate. <laughs> and uh, that's, that made a lot of sense to me. So, uh, and then, uh, you know, really in the military, I almost drowned when I was serving, uh, body surfing off of Santa Cruz in the wintertime. And uh, my house burned down to the ground by this crazy person who tried who robbed it and then burned it down and then when he's due to stand trial for that <clears throat> killed himself and this guy had been in the military and uh, he had uh, you know, had mental health issues that, <clears throat> that, that that weren't addressed and so uh, I had all these things happen then I got you know I went to Panama then I got out of the military <laughs> and then my uh, my first wife left me, and I was like, wow, okay, so someone's trying to get my attention here. And uh, that was kind of the, the beginning of the next step of my spiritual path, which was uh, trying to figure out, you know, trying to figure this, this reality out at least starting. I figured I would work with the operating manuals, you know, the, the holy scriptures of these different traditions. And uh, I started to uh, read those. Because I knew from the military, you know, that there was an uh, operator's manual for everything. That's the way the military works. And so I kind of took that approach, I guess. And uh, so I had, you know, familiarity with uh, Islam as far as my dad's, you know, suggesting that I study some of it when I was in uh, high school, which I did. Like, a, I remember, you know, Montgomery Watts' book, uh, uh, Muhammad Prophet and the Statesman. And so, you know, I had some basic, basic familiarity with it. And so uh, in my studies, you know, I started I was reading the Bible, started reading the Quran. And uh, for me, at some point in reading the Quran, it became apparent to me that uh, this was true. And it wasn't like some particular passage or anything. And then I just had to uh, deal with the reality of what, what that meant for me, you know. And... Uh, yeah, so from from there, that was you know over 20 years ago, and I've been uh, unfolding that spiritual path and did you know, doing the I did the pilgrimage to Mecca and, and doing my own you know work, and uh, but the whole the whole time I was you know figuring out my whole you know next evolution of my spiritual path was also the same time with these plant medicines, and uh, I can't. Not only can't deny that reality, I can't get a, you know around the the uh, occurrence of how that went down. So I've you know been been uh, challenged with the personally challenged in my for my for my own self my own story to to integrate those two things and you know make it work.
I don't have any proof, but I've been in the Middle East many times, and the story about Muhammad going into a cave and meeting angels, I mean, every time I do any form of uh, psychedelic, I always go into, create my own cave, and it's dark, and, you know, so that rings a bell. And the second bit that uh, I think... Islam goes well with psychedelics is that it's the only like place of worship where if you go into a mosque uh, that's what it looks like I mean if it's uh, the the tapestry or the wallpaper of a psychedelic experience is is very similar to how a mosque is decorated I mean at least it's the closest one it, it, I don't see anything of that in a catholic church for instance yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, the, the, the tryptamine palace, right? And I think that's a key that I've never been able to get away from in all this and all this work and trying to sort of reintegrate those two things potentially perceived as paradoxes is that DMT and 5-MeO-DMT are really more like hormones. You know, they're neurotransmitters. They're, you know, they're neuromodulators in our body. And you, you can't deny that. And so you can't call them alien or other or drugs because they're part of our natural biochemistry. So <clears throat> it's impossible for me to, to, to not you know, see, see, the, <clears throat> see that beautiful sacred geometry, right? And not, and not, and not, you know, not have it be a reflection of the, of the source that... Uh, so yeah, in that regard, it does, uh, you know, uh, capture us spiritually. And I think there's, you know, there's, to me, the whole model for, you know, fasting in the desert 40 days and 40 nights, there's all these different techniques to achieve, you know, uh, spiritual communion in that way. And uh, why wouldn't it be possible that we'd be able to Use you know use other techniques to create the same kind of uh, experiences in our own biochemistry, right? That you can also get from taking, you know, things outside of you that contain the same thing, right? To give you more of it. So, can you talk a bit about more in detail about the pilgrimage to Mecca, what it was like, and with all those people and how it felt and and everything? Sure, sure. So. Uh, I think it was 2006, 2007. It was a year that the uh, the pilgrimage occurred kind of over Christmas break, as it were, in the U.S., you know, North America and uh, <clears throat> in Europe. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that made it really convenient for some of my situation to try to take off the sort of two weeks from work that it was going to take to do this. And... Uh, yeah, so you, you, you travel, you, you go with a uh, travel agency from your own country, so the people that you're going with are basically residents of your own country, and uh, yeah, you, you camp with millions of other people <laughs> uh, in, in a mass uh, campout style, and that's, that's pretty overwhelming for a lot of people. A lot of people in their lives have never been around that many other people, but uh, you know, the, the whole experience is kind of like one little version of the military where it's designed to uh, break you down 
but then also completely build you back up. So you're kind of broken down by the magnitude of the people and the power of the landscape, which is pretty, you know, desert and, <laughs> and uh, you know, on the surface unforgiving. And so uh, and <clears throat> for us, we had the crazy experience of when we uh, were on our bus to go from the camp to do the uh, you know rites at Mount uh, at Mount Arafat, where you're you know you're going to simulate what it's like on the Day of Judgment, and our bus broke down, and so we uh, had to walk <clears throat> to get to that encampment, which is like a whole like world around that mountain, organized by country, and we walked around for I think eight at six six or seven hours trying to find the American uh, camp. You know, we had none of our speakers in our group were, uh, spoke uh, Arabic and uh, just like Urdu or English. And so uh, we basically walked through a little mini globe of people from all these different countries all over the world <laughs> trying to find America, the American camp, and uh, got there like at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is though you're supposed to spend the whole day close to the mountain, you know, uh, with your, your confessional to God, and instead we were trying to find uh, you know, a home so we could go climb the mountain. And uh, but for, for me, that really just completely opened me up, just that whole emotional thing of like trying to find some place for person trying to put together with everyone else there and not spaz out. And so uh, I really uh, got out a lot of the experience, just uh, the pilgrimage aspect where you're just, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard and tough and difficult, but you have to uh, just uh, suck it up. And I guess the military was the really great teacher there of, you know, you got to do a lot of hurry up and waiting. And I saw a lot of Americans who expected just a higher level of customer service really be unhappy and have that get in the way of their, you know, spiritual experience. And uh, I was able just to... Uh, or go with the flow because the military experience there and really soak it up. And uh, it was, uh, you know, really uh, uh, one of the most amazing, you know, psychedelic experiences I've ever, I've ever been on for sure. Most people who are not that knowledgeable about Islam, they know still a few things. And one of the most misunderstood things is the concept of jihad. And I uh, would, can you talk a bit about that? What what it really implies? Sure, sure. You know, even I was inspired to write poetry after 9/11 on that. Uh, you know, I wrote a poem called "The Greater Jihad." And so, uh, exactly, uh, jihad means literally struggle, and it's the struggle for survival that that creates us as human beings with our individual egos. So. Uh, History just plays games and who's sort of control of the narrative and it's like infidel is a word created by Christian crusaders, <laughs> right? You know, so now turned around and put on, you know, American clothing is like a, is a jaunt in the other direction. And so... Uh, Jihad is like a struggle, an internal struggle of uh, achieving some a certain state of being you know, it's not about an external struggle in, in, in that sense. Well, that, yeah, well, that's the, the point that the 
making externalize is a projection of the ego, right? And it's the internal struggle to both survive and, you know, perfect your survival, right? To take it to a, to a higher level. And so, uh, I mean, I just, I guess I'm, what I'm saying is this, I'm, I'm so past like the, you know, the, the hang up on it. It's all, it becomes all a thing about semantics, right? Uh, you know, you, you use one word for one thing and someone else uses a different one and that one's bad. It's, uh, you know, America is projecting all these things on Islam because it's like the closest mirror it has to try to, to deal with the dumb stuff because the people in America are, you know, trying to uh, control the country are just basically, you know, uh, American versions of the Taliban or, or ISIS al-Qaeda, so. Oh, it's, uh, in 10 years it will be Buddhists that are the enemy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the whole thing. It's just that's the constant <clears throat> thing of the ego, right, is to be looking for the source of your problems externally. And so, of course, people do that. And, you know, it's attribute theory, and that's what countries do really well. And I think while the country game is still going on, they'll be able to do that. But I think there's other things that are happening that are going to break that control more and more beyond the Internet. But all the religions are really about the same uh, God, I guess you could call it, in my opinion. And it's just different ways of uh, reaching a certain connection with some divine force. So all different techniques. Do you feel like that? Yes, absolutely, right? It's the uh, perennial philosophy, you know, and, uh, right, God says in the Quran that, God created humankind with different colors or hues and tongues so they could get to know one another. So an inherent diversity would, you know, breed more ultimately harmony and health, right? And we know that from nature. So not so we would uh, hate one another. And I think it's all part of the game. I mean, that's what makes the game clearly interesting, right? Is that every one of us is this, you know, uh, you know, God experiencing this limited state through this ego, and uh, you know, <laughs> uh, the, you have these different environments, and then you can see how people uh, react with different information and different cultural environments and different, you know, geographical environments, and then. Uh, Yeah, so I, I think people are, are way hung up, and it's clear whether to use the terms, you know, from Buddhism, which are like like to negate some of these things, right? To say that there's no thing, you know, God is no thing. God is not a thing, so God is nothing. There's no difference when you, you know, look at these. And so, yeah, ultimately, it's using different terminology to say the same thing. And I think that's what's really important to me about these medicines is that they're transpersonal and you can come to that experience of whatever that means to you for yourself without any mediation. You know, you don't have to have somebody tell you, you can just have do the medicine and then experience it. And then, you know, and, and you're going to innately use words or ideas to, to describe it aware that those are still limitations trying to do that. And that's basically what religion is, right? We're going to use these terms They're limited to describe something that's infinite, and you know that's when all the problems begin. <laughs>
but you could have uh, what what was it that made you uh, feel more attracted to islam and doing the pilgrims to mecca instead of like hinduism and going to the ganges or something else okay so uh i was you know confirmed in the methodist church as a youth and then um, you know when i was in the military wasn't ne never forgot about god but i wasn't like going to church you know regularly pretty much god all the time anyway but uh so when i became muslim you know over 20 years ago uh that my view on that was that there was it was a evidence and proof and example that there is only one religion which is the the loving self-surrender uh to source to god to allah to you know and then we can use all these names <laughs> to love to truth to beauty whatever but that and that you have prophets sent uh throughout all time to all groups of people so that uh, you know otherwise that would be cruel and people would be cheated if there's going to be messages sent so so god's been sending messages to people for you know uh, thousands of years and uh this was just a culmination of that uh approach that god was taking to the whole uh program and uh, sort of like where you are on the update path you know <laughs> and uh, have you taken the latest uh updates from the operating system and some don't and then they don't want to recognize you know they're on an earlier version of the software and they don't want to recognize new versions but i think the the author of all the you know the source code that everyone's uh playing around with is is is, is one so i don't i don't know if that if that, that answers your question but uh it just was a natural progression and then i saw that you know there's only uh there you you need you need a a a you know perspective that fits you and it fits me and uh but I don't try to get hung up in someone else's you know uh view on that because I can easily go you know uh you know Brahma is no, is, is the supreme deity there's no difference there ultimately conceptually right in in Islam and it's the same people that in English go well that Allah is something different it's a moon god so i you know to me i can't uh worry about sorting out those kind of things but I, but i can say from uh experience that there's only uh the only thing that exists is love and it's infinite so <laughs> we can put a bunch of names beyond that well it's very easy to confuse people i mean i remember a few christmases ago celebrating jesus birthday on the exact day of the 25th I was sitting reading the Quran and it was Christmas and I was listening to Hare Krishna music so it was like three different <laughs> nice yeah so I mean ultimately that's what I tell people right about ayahuasca it's like you're going to uh, have a vision of something or sound or you know taste or smell whatever that, that you're going to be able to take back but that's just still kind of a metaphor it's a representation it's not meant to be taken literally so because you can take anything you know muslims around the world are taking the religion of islam as a form of idol worship you know so you can worship anything and 
none of it's good, right? <laughs> so. So have you uh, looked into Sufism as well? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, I've studied that uh, very deeply, and uh, you know, I'm not a member of any order, but I've participated in a lot of that kind of work, and uh, totally appreciate the uh, importance and value of a lineage, right, and a, and a continuous uh, teacher-student uh, passing on along with any kind of information that you know, we've kind of lost in the modern age. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, Sufism was the place where when I was simultaneously doing these plant medicines where I realized that I wasn't nuts, you know, because I'm like, that that language, that metaphysics, that love, you know, was a container for me to be like, okay, <laughs> I'm not nuts. This all somehow makes sense. And uh, yeah, so in that regard, you know, the, the 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 practice or the operating system of Islam fit my life, and then the the metaphysics and the love of, of that. That I could find, that I could get in Sufism, you know, uh, lit lit my heart on fire. Have you done any of of those dances they do? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's totally trance-inducing, man. It's like that's the thing is, all these are just different technologies to achieve, you know, uh, certain states of mindfulness or you know. Uh, ecstasy where you're getting turned off to your sensory perception which then turn helps to you know with getting your ego out of the way could you explain a bit what those dances are for people who don't, might not understand what we're talking about yeah so these are right uh, sema these are these uh, ceremonies where everyone is in a you know a similar attire and uh you they could be you know small groups uh, you know you can You're doing with 10 people up to groups where there's over a hundred. And so people are uh, gathered together and, uh, you know, there can be, it can be all vocal accompaniment, self-done or, you know, limited, uh, you know, musical accompaniment. And then there's variations and all that, but basically uh, people together rhythmically chanting the names of God and other, you know, and other simple sacred formulas uh, with, like, in, you know, intense uh, coordinated yogic breathing, like holotropic breath work, and basically everyone, you know, gets high, and like from the trance dancing and the, you know, yogic uh, oxygen breathing while you're letting yourself go, yeah, and you, you, you uh, d dissolve, you know, the the drop dissolves into the ocean or the ocean dissolves into the drop. And, uh, yeah, so that stuff uh, definitely works. Are there a lot of uh, Sufi places in America? No, not really at all. So, uh, you know, if there, if there was uh, a local one, I'm sure I, I would uh, check that out. Uh, you know, we have a local mosque that I go to in my neighborhood, and that's all cool. But, uh, yeah, those, those are much more... Uh, <laughs> Uh, scattered little little pearls out there, and so. Uh, but you know, we live in a, in a hyper-connected world now, where uh, you know all the community doesn't have to be uh, you know present. It can be also uh, virtual. But 
Yeah, so, uh, and, you know, and I, yeah, so there's just not, not much of that in the U.S. So you called your uh, website Psychedelic Musulman. W what is Musulman? It was actually just a term for a Muslim. It was used like one of those, you know, terms, I think, in uh, England, right, uh, used <laughs> by the British. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, Colin Angus from The Shaman, uh, gave me that, like, you know, moniker uh, once in a text just playing around with me as uh, we were uh, communicating back and forth. And I was like, that's pretty, that's pretty brilliant, right? Because, you know, we're still all, we're always living in the age of, you know, protecting yourself under layers. I can totally appreciate that. I'm sure you can as well. And, uh, you know, that's uh, not as explicit there, right? And it also kind of sounds like muscle man and yeah, it's got a good uh, ring to it. And so it's like, it's sort of like if you, it's coded in that if you care enough, you'll figure it out. And if you don't, then you don't care about it anyway. And so, uh. <laughs> yeah. In most religions, <clears throat> you're not supposed to um, partake of any like intoxicating. So I mean, Buddhism has it, and uh, in in Islam, there's also where you're not supposed to get drunk, of course. And uh, I'm sure in Christianity there are some, but they drink wine a lot in Christianity. But d d is there an issue with uh, the psychedelics? I mean, in that sense, by like normal Muslims. Well, so number one, and, I, and I've written about this as well, is the number, you, know, you can't say that uh, ayahuasca is haram <laughs> when it's orally activated DMT when you, your pineal gland and your lungs make DMT. You can't say that smoking the toad bufotoxin, 5-MeO-DMT, is haram when your pineal gland and your retinas make 5-MeO-DMT. So there's just, there's just no way of getting around that. And of course, all the uh, you know restrictions on intoxication of the Quran are all directed at some behavior, right? Don't go to prayers drunk. Don't allow alcohol to be used to cause enmity, you know, between people. All these things about, you know, How, how it can be used and not not uh, you know sort of uh, getting into can, what can, what can you use and what can't you use and so the uh, to me there's there's no conflict at all because these are natural substances and then the other substances we might be talking about let's say like psilocybin you know they're very close to these other same chemicals to dimethyltryptamine. It's just got a hydroxyl group added on in the fourth position. So, you know, they're already basically natural chemicals to begin with. And so then it becomes an issue of what are you doing with them and how are they changing your life? And I think that's the much bigger question. And, you know, I would actually quote Jesus in the Bible on this one. He said that, you know, it's not what goes into a person's mouth that defiles them. It's what comes out of it. So, We're sometimes hyper-focused on what goes in, and we should be much more about what comes out, because if we were honest about that, then we'd say, well, the things that come out of people's mouth on alcohol generally is not as uh, positive as where it is with cannabis, and there's no comparison to these psychedelics. But, you know, most of those kind of issues around intoxicants, I mean, you know, coffee was ruled at a certain time, right, by Muslim, you know, uh, you know kings or, you know, 
uh, administration that it was, uh, you know, Aram and uh, same thing with tobacco and, uh, you know, same thing with opium. And so it's a lot harder to segregate sort of those views, too, with, you know, the sort of cultural overlay and the war on drugs and the spice trade and the stuff that's been going on for thousands of years that it's about money. And then you realize that, you know, all these religions have at their start some kind of uh, peak experience that when the, a religion gets organized around it, becomes, you know, less accessible to the uh, individual practitioners if that organized religion is trying to control the narrative, right? They don't want people going up in their own cave and meditating and fasting, right? They are like, no, <laughs> that's already been done. You need to do this part. And that's what why these organized religions are generally disproving of that is they don't want people to have their own source code and go out and do it on yourself, DIY. So. But Islam is more uh, liberating in the sense that you don't have to go to a mosque. You can pray anywhere. It's not like you have to go on Sunday to a specific place. It's a, a more open source kind of software platform. More, more open source operating system. It's more self-directed. You can use it yourself. It doesn't have to be. Uh, you, you can, you can, uh, yeah, you can be a Muslim on a desert island <laughs> with enough coconuts and whatever else you need. So, you know, you don't have to have anybody else to, to do the practice of it. These days, if I have a ceremony, I try to remain in lotus position. But uh, early in my psychedelic career, so to speak, uh, I've, I found myself almost every time, especially if it became too intense, I always found myself in the position that a Muslim takes when he prays, when he leans forward, like sitting on my knees, bent forward. I, I was in that position so often that I started to connect it with what... Uh, so I was thinking like, uh, it's exactly what the Muslims do when they when they pray, when they bend forward. So that was another connection I, I found in myself with Islam. But do you uh, pray like five times a day? I sure do. It's, uh, it's a really good practice. And then, uh, you know, it's it's the long road, right? These uh, plant medicines can be the deep dive, but then you also have to have a container and then do all the work to contain all the aftershocks. And the other practices, right, they're more, you know, brick by brick by brick. But uh, they definitely, you know, like meditation and yoga as well, and they definitely work over the long term. So I found that uh, they can definitely be synergistic and work together. You know, what effect does it have to do that five times a day? And, and how was it in the beginning, like, you know, like to, to keep it up? Because it's a new practice. It must be difficult to, to change your pattern. Well, this was when I was doing my spiritual work and doing a lot of these plant medicines, and I wanted to do it, you know. And so I'm, I was like, I didn't see it as a, a rule or I, – I guess I could I could say for, I approached it in the proper context was I knew the story behind it, which was, you know, this was a gift. And then anytime in, you know, uh, right, we think of all the hospitality stuff in the, in the Bible is – you know, a, a guest always had to give a gift so that when Muhammad, you know, does his ascension to heaven, you know, from uh, from Jerusalem, that, uh, you know, that's God's gift to to him, you know, right on, on the way out. And then the beautiful story, of course, of Moses helping him to negotiate it down to some kind of 
reasonable level. So, you know, my approach to it wasn't that I was required, something I had to do maybe growing up as a kid too as well, right? You know, anything like that. And so it was something that I wanted to do. And uh, I uh, knew that uh, I, could, I could see that there was a reason why that gift was on offer. And uh, yeah, it just helped me for sure to uh, build my own like uh, mindfulness practice around working with these plant medicines to like process them. You know, we're, some point of the day we have to stop putting everything else aside and have a mindfulness practice. And uh, yeah, so uh, they both helped uh, you know build the con- <laughs> the processes for one another. Doing that five times a day does is does it become like that? That is the day, and then whatever you do in between, or or, or the opposite. Well, for for me, I'd say for a long time it's like been a grounding exercise for sure. Of okay, whatever's going on, just take a breath, you know. And there's bigger, there's a bigger picture, there's a bigger perspective going on. And uh, so that hasn't changed. Definitely the grounding of it, and. Now it's become more of a mindfulness practice and more of, uh, you know, I don't know, really, really deep uh, contemplation and and self-reflection. So, yeah, I guess it's just like, why wouldn't it change, you know, as it's a practice as you're changing your life and doing the different things (laughs) that you need to do. But like any practice, you get better at it. And uh, it becomes easier. And I know that a couple of times, like I'd say in the past couple of years, I just completely was able to go into flow state. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, this is like the 20 plus year orchard kind of thing. But uh, also at the same time, you know, those those can be uh, tricks and uh, traps even under themselves. But uh, ultimately, it's just been a, a real grounding uh, exercise where it's uh, – it's definitely a gift rather than any kind of thing I, you know, uh, have to do or, or forcing myself to do. If I, because then what would be the point? <laughs> and then you're your own, uh, you know, uh, prison guard, and I'm not interested in that. It's a shame that I mean, in Europe, when they build mosques, they always try to build them so they don't look like mosques, but they they should build them more like real mosques because it looks better and. Uh, they also try to lower the uh, call for prayer, which I also think is strange because uh, I don't understand people who. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, you can still be an atheist and enjoy the music because I think the call for prayer are, are are very beautiful. Yeah, well, people are just you know, people are crazy. Yeah, I've seen some of these most recent mosques, which are like some in in Saudi where uh, inside some of these, you know, big uh, shopping malls. And they look like if you were trying to build, like, some kind of uh, five MEO DMT cathedral, they're, like, incredible white with all the sacred geometry. And so, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's actually pretty uh, crazy. I wanna, I, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm trying to figure that one out, right? Where, what's, the, what's the source for that inspiration? <laughs> when you were looking... For your spiritual path and you found Islam, did you look at also Hinduism and Buddhism, or, or was was it because of your father you went straight for for this this type? 
Well, no, so I went, you know, it was, right, went from Christianity and then into Islam, it just, it didn't, there was no limitation there, it just expanded my understanding. And then once I was like, okay, I'm Muslim, I finished reading the Quran, I was in law school, I read the entire Bible, you know, with the Apocrypha, uh, you know, which took me about a year and a half. And then, uh, yeah, then immediately started reading books on uh, Hinduism and Buddhism and Jainism, and I'd read a lot actually in high school and even in college on Zoroastrianism, and so I was already interested in the study of religion, and uh, yeah, and, and then of course, you know, doing the plant medicines, and then doing my daily spiritual practice, and building a greater set of operating manuals to, you know, synthesize and compare I'm still getting the same message, man. There's one, you know, uh, source to all this. It's the whole, uh, you know, blind man around the elephant. All the all the differences are just uh, semantics and perception. And part of the ego game that's, you know, clearly part of our whole, I don't want to say simulation, but video game that we're, you know, currently engaged in. <laughs> Many people always think that Hinduism has uh, many gods, but really from what I recently understood is that uh, all those gods are different incarnations of the same god, so it's just different avatars of of the of the one god, so it's also one god in uh, Hinduism. Yeah, and so exactly, you could just say, this is again a hang-up where you could say, okay, in Islam, right, you've got the 99 names of God, and then there's, the, in the Hindu, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to butcher something here, but in the Hindu set up, you know, or filter, they're saying, well, we're going to give each of those names like a, you know, uh, a, represent a representation. And so, yeah, you, you can easily see how we can argue how proper it is to try to represent that, but still we can at least say, yeah, these are just representations. And exactly, you know, it's like uh, Atman is Brahman, right? I mean, you know, when, when you... Uh, Put up all the maps next to each other. Whatever the hierarchy they get between the ultimate source and us down here, you know, there always seems to be the ultimate source there in the background, in the in the overlay. You you can't really put a gender on God because I see it as genderless, of course. But I still feel that it has it is on some sort of feminine quality like goddess like but it's still it's not a woman it's still a, a no no gender at all but just the, the vibe and i always think it's interesting how like western society it's the gods are always father but in many indigenous communities it's is a goddess or in the pre-modern or the pre-western society it was goddesses yeah, and again, again, the language is really instructive, right? In Islam, right, you know, the Quran, every chapter but one starts with, you know, Rahman Rahim, and, and basically those come from the root word R-H-M, womb. So when you do have, even though, right, in Arabic, they, they don't have to fall into the only he or she model we do, and they can basically use it. It doesn't, it doesn't sound weird, right? But, uh, you know, the God's inner essence in the Arabic language, right, is, a fe is feminine. As far as the, you know, the, the word used, right, to, uh, you know, 
talk about the divine, the divine essence. So, and other characteristics are used as, you know, masculine, uh, you know, uh, right? What, <laughs> you know, masculine before those, but, but ultimately, yeah, I think it's to show, and that would make sense, right? That the outward manifestation of man as we experience it in our plane is more, you know, uh, male, right? And then the inner would be more female. That would just pretty much make sense. <laughs> It could also be good, like for the practitioner, if if it is a man and he uh, works with with plant medicines to to connect to a goddess type of energy, and for a woman to connect to a more uh, man. So you know, so you get both parts. Yeah, I think I think it all takes care of itself. You know, I've heard people, grandmother ayahuasca, grandfather ayahuasca. I think it's yeah, it's. That's an amazing thing about the medicine, even in ceremony, where it's able to reconcile the time, the place, the space, everyone's individual mind state, genetics, all that, all at the same time, and have metaphors for you that are that are meaningful. So, yeah, I've experienced, you know, uh, the earth is is divine feminine. <laughs> I've, ex you know, I mean, those are, they're, again, those are just metaphors, right, for trying to wrap your head around things that are, uh, you know, infinite and are just so much bigger than you can wrap your head around, so. But in, in Islam, there's no, like, concept of uh, reincarnation, like, that you come, like, in Hinduism, right? Well, so, even, you could say, like, in the Abrahamic traditions, there's an at least always one incarnation, right, which is from some plane of spirits, some plane of souls into this current one, and then an exit into the next one, right, in which you're reincarnated, you know, after the day, right, to, for, to have the day of judgment, and then, you know, question mark as to what happens beyond that. So uh, I just think, yeah, the, the uh, in Islam, definitely there's no need or requirement for uh, individual reincarnations, Uh, in this existence, and uh, you know, I studied with like uh, did open eye meditation with Brahma Kumaris, you know, and even in that, it's like the majority of people that have ever existed in the world exist today, right? Because of you know demographics and population growth. So, uh, if everybody thinks that they were somebody else in the past, the math doesn't support that, you know, right? Uh, uh, you know, whatever the number is, I think it's you know. Above one, only one in ten would be like recycled souls on, on the math scale. Anyway, most of us would be uh, would be new souls. But uh, in any case, uh, you know, I don't. I just say Islam doesn't require it, but uh, none of those religions can really oppose it because there's already one incarnation to start into another. You know what I mean? So having multiple, uh, you know, there's, there's no bar against that period anyway. How could we understand then, like the you know um, all you can read all these books about people who've had near-death experiences and they have an experience where they understand that they have lived many lives and they come back, you know, like that. Do you think it's all doesn't work like that? Well, I mean, if someone says that they experience past lives, I mean that's. In one way, how is that any different than experiencing all your past ancestry, right? Reconnecting through that ancestral ancestral line. So, you know, I, I don't know that those are really uh, necessarily necessarily really any different. 
Maybe there's like a lot of uh, sex in heaven. That's why there's more souls now, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what it does show, the demographics, is that this is the time where there's like a big phase change because the fact that there's so many people, right? I mean, you know, the, 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 the area under the curve, whatever about to go down is going to go down now, not 200 years ago when we were mo mostly, all, mostly all farmers, you know. <laughs> Maybe it fits with what I mentioned earlier about uh, the Hinduism that, you know, uh, all those gods are, are different incarnations of one god. So God is just incarnating himself just more and more, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and then that stuff, like in all the Vedanta stuff, that totally fits with my understanding. And so that that's just, you know, I've come to that experience for sure. I already believed it and knew it, but then experienced it on the 5-MeO-DMT is that Whenever when time and space gets stripped away, it's only energy, so therefore you can't be created or destroyed. There's no death. It's all love, and it goes on forever. So, <laughs> you know, at, at that point, uh, what what is there to uh, argue or, or fight fight against? So, so what is the reason to uh, to have this human life then, if? I mean, if nothing, re when you die, you know, you'll be fine and you live forever, then w what reason is there to have this experience and what does it matter what you do? Well, I think first if you get this gift of ego and then each person has the effect of experiencing the direct consequences of all those choices, right? That's karma, that's heaven or hell, same thing, the law, law, law of cause and effect. So... And it's like, that's kind of a person-centric view of it, right? God gets to experience this in the evolution of consciousness for, what, 13.7 billion years, right? We're just the latest evolution of that consciousness. No, God's been getting to experience it all along. And even in the Quran, it says, right, the one verse in heaven, like all the, how awesome it's going to be, but then how there's still levels higher and higher. So in that, it goes on forever. We're already living in eternity, this temporary thing, you know, whatever we're calling the universe, that's at some point going to go away and we'll be, we'll realize that we're, we're back in eternity, but we've always been there. So this has to go on forever as its default. And then this is just the, uh, you know, temporality that we're, 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 we're living in. So if, if people want to check out your website, what was the URL? Oh God, are you gonna make me spell that? <laughs> Psychedelic and then Musulman. M U S U L M A N dot com. <laughs> yeah, I'll post the link also in the program notes. Um, well, thank you a lot for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, brother, it was really uh, awesome and uh, really good to connect with you. Go to psychedelicmusulman.com if you want to check out Ian's work. Now we are going to listen to a musical act called Words Have Edges. The track is called Patterns or Night Does Away with Color and is taken from the self-titled album Words Have Edges. Go to wordshaveedges.bandcamp.com to check it out more. And all the links uh, can be found on naturalbornalchemist.com. Next week, I'll be talking about the magic of science. Freedom is in the mind. Mm -hmm.